Let us continue to worship God. Let us hear from God himself. Let us turn to his word and to the gospel of Mark. And as John alluded to earlier in the service, we're going to be looking at chapter 6. And we're going to read uh, from verse 12. The section that we're looking at is verses uh, 14 uh, to 29. But to give us a little bit of uh, a context of what's going on in Mark's gospel, and this will be important to us later on in the service, uh, let's commence at verse 12. This is God's word. So it's talking here about the apostles initially in verse 12, and then Mark goes on to explain an episode with King Herod. So they, the apostles, went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with her request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed. But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with order to, orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Amen. This is God's words, and as we seek to hear from God from it this evening, and as we seek to handle it together, let us pray to him for his help in understanding it. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Almighty God, we're told that your word is living and active. 
that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, that it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and then it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Almighty God, when we realize the power that your word has, it causes us to fear. But we pray tonight that as we come before your word, a passage even that seems, or the passage that is filled with fear, that we would see in you, in your presence, in your word, in your gospel, there is nothing to fear at all. Help us see this in and through the, the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we see on the slides um, tonight, we're going to be looking at a passage that, as I said there in my prayer, is all about fear. It's a passage that's filled with fear, many different kinds of fear. But at the heart of it is a fear of following Christ. And so as we begin to spend time together looking at this passage, I want to begin with a question. I want to ask you if the thought of following Jesus has ever made you afraid. Has the thought of following Jesus ever made you afraid? Let me give you some helper, helper questions. For instance... Have you ever been worried about what people might think about you if you spoke to them of your love for Jesus? Have you ever been scared to tell people that you hold a position that the Bible holds that is contrary to the popular views of society? Have you ever considered what being a Christian might mean for us, or indeed your children, or indeed your grandchildren, in a world and in an age that is increasingly hostile? towards Jesus' followers. Tonight, as you consider if you've ever been afraid to follow Jesus, I imagine most, if not all of you, have experienced one of these things or some kind of fear once in your life. If you haven't experienced them yet, then let me say you're incredibly blessed. But let me tell you that this fear is an incredibly normal part of the Christian life. And the reason I can say that with absolute certainty is because this gospel, which we're turning to tonight, the gospel of Mark, is a gospel which speaks to this fear. It's a gospel in which the fear of following Christ can be seen right at the very beginning and right at the very end. If you have your Bibles opened... Turn with me, please, to chapter 1, and I'll give you an example of this. You might not be very familiar with Mark's gospel, but you'll see there in chapter 1 how it begins. It begins with this man, John the Baptist, and he is there proclaiming the coming of one more powerful than he. That's what it talks about in verse 7. And then this one who is more powerful than he arrives in verse 9 and 13, and we see that he is anointed as God's chosen king, anointed actually by God himself. This man is Jesus Christ, of which the whole gospel is about, proving that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 
But verse 14, just as Jesus is about to begin his ministry, a dark cloud descends upon this book. An ominous tone is struck. And we see it there with the first couple of words in that verse. After John was put in prison, it says, Jesus went into Galilee. And so even before we've begun any of Jesus' ministry, we learn that Jesus' forerunner, John the Baptist, is put in prison. And as I said, there comes this black cloud, this ominous tone is struck, and it hangs over the rest of the gospel. And with it hangs this fearful question. If John the Baptist was put in prison, what is going to happen to Jesus? For those of you who are familiar with the gospel, know that it doesn't take long for Jesus to, to, to face opposition. In fact, right in the next passage in chapter 1, 21 following, he meets opposition in the synagogue of all places. And then unlike any other gospel, by chapter 3, yes, only chapter 3, verse 6, we read that the opposition to Jesus reaches its climax. You'll see there, if you look at that verse, that two opposing groups, the Pharisees and the Herodians, come together in their hatred of Jesus, and they vow to kill him. You might be interested to know that the very last verse in this gospel ends with fear. You might be familiar with how it ends. Remember, the women go to the tomb to find Jesus, and the last verse, the last thing we read of them is them running away in fear. And so you see, right from the very beginning of this gospel, right to the very end, is this theme of fear. And at the heart of this theme are two questions. What, we've seen this already, what is going to happen to Jesus? And what is going to happen to his followers? What is going to happen to those who learn about him? What's going to happen to those who decide to give their lives to him? And so there is this fear of following Jesus. A fear that is common among all believers, has been since John, the Mark wrote this gospel until today. But as we turn to this episode in chapter 6, an episode that if you were to read Mark's gospel from the beginning to now, it would stick out as going in the wrong direction. But it's an episode where fear is at the heart of it. And it is dealt with in different ways by the two main characters. You'll see this in our next slide. We're going to look at one of them each in turn. First of all, we're going to see how Herod deals with this fear. And then we're going to see how John the Baptist deals with it. We move on to the next slide. We'll see, first of all, Herod. And in this point, if you're taking notes, you might want to know that at this point, we're going to see that Herod is ultimately driven away from Jesus by this fear. His fear leads him to reject Jesus. Now, the reason we have our Bibles in front of us is because we see this in the text before us. This is not my words or my opinion, but we see it in the Bible in front of us. And we see it initially in verse 14. This sort of passage is introduced to us by Mark. He begins by, by giving us this, this thought about who Jesus is. You'll notice there that there's this theme of, 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 um, in Mark where people don't understand who Jesus is, and, and it's going on here in chapter 6. And there's given three options, aren't we? People thought Jesus was one of three people. They, they thought he was either John the Baptist, raised from the dead. They thought he was Elijah, 
or they thought he was another prophet from long ago. Now, you'll know, you'll, you'll, if you know Mark's gospel, you'll know that almost these exact verses are mirrored in chapter 8. And the answer, we're given the answer to who Jesus is in that chapter. Let me tell you, he's, he's none of these things. He's not John the Baptist or the Elijah or another prophet. But if you look at verse 16, you will see what Herod thought, who Herod thought Jesus was. You'll see there, doesn't he? What does he say? What, when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded has been raised from the dead. And so we're introduced to this fear of Jesus. Herod believes that Jesus is not the Son of God, but that he is John the Baptist reincarnated. And because of this, he is terrified. And the reason he's terrified is because, well, we can see it there in verse 16. Because he beheaded him. And he believes now John has come back to life and is going to come and get him. But do you see here? This that this passage is about. A fear of following Jesus. But as Mark goes on to unpack Herod and his specific fear, we see that his fear is not one that drives Herod to Jesus, but drives him away from Jesus. We see this. Have a look with me at Mark's account of John's death. And we get this really interesting account of his death. We get it explained. It was mentioned right there in chapter 1. We saw it. What happened to him? We don't know what happened to him, but now we know. And we're told in verse 17 that actually that Herod had John the Baptist arrested. And he was put in prison because, as we read there, he preached against Herod's marriage to his brother's wife. Now, confusingly, Herod's wife is called Herodias. But Herodias, naturally, as you can imagine, was not a fan of John the Baptist. She was not a fan of being preached against. And we read there, didn't we, that she wanted him killed. But interestingly, we read this really interesting thing about Herod at the end of verse 19 and 20, that Herodias was not able to kill, have John the Baptist killed, because Herod feared John. See this fear arising again? And this time, this fear is because John, he knows that John is a righteous and holy man. It's interesting, actually, if you look there at the end of this verse, Herod seemingly liked John. It says that he was intrigued, greatly puzzled at his teaching. And they liked to hear what he had to say. And so, as Mark unpacks this story of John the Baptist's death, we're getting to get an insight of Herod and who he is. And it seems that Herod, although at the, at the end of the day is terrified of John the Baptist, initially feared him, initially respected him. He recognized that he was from God, and he gave God's message. And even though he initially had this respectful fear, where he was afraid to lay a hand on John the Baptist, something that was about to happen that would reveal his greater fear. And it's, as you can see in the point there behind me, it's his fear of man. We see this, don't we, in from verse 21, what happens next? It's, it's Herod's birthday, isn't it? And you'll see who he has invited to this banquet. High officials, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. And it's a right old party, and Herodias has 
her daughter, come and dance for Herod and these men. And, Herod, and they all have a great time. And so Herod, you can see there, he's boasting. He's described as the king. And he's boasting in front of these men. He says, ask me anything you want, up to half my kingdom, and you will get it. But you see, Herod is caught off guard. And Herod, with this occasion, finds himself in a position where he cannot deny his fear of men. We see this. We see this with what happens next. Herodias' daughter hears this offer of this gift and goes back out to her mother and says, Mother, what, what should I ask for? And we get a real insight to this woman, Herodias, because instead of asking for wealth and property, half a kingdom, she asks for the head of a man who preached the gospel against her. She seems like a terrifying character. She seems like the sort of person you wouldn't say no to. But in doing so, she took the opportune time that came to her. But in this moment, we're not going to think about her. We're going to think about Herod. And verse 26, verse 26 shows that although Herod who once stood up to Herodias and did not kill John the Baptist, and who once feared John the Baptist, succumbed to his greater fear. We see there what it is, don't we, in verse 26? We're told that he was greatly distressed, but this is it, this is the important things. But why? But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse this girl. Do you see there? what Herod values more? Do you see in this verse where Herod's greater fear lies? His oath, his word, his word was more important than God's words. Looking strong in front of his peers, in front of these impressive dignitaries, was more important than the life of John the Baptist. Herod here wanted to save Theus. Unfortunately, John the Baptist had to lose his head in order for him to keep it. We have a really interesting picture of Herod, don't we? He was initially afraid of John the Baptist, a good fear. But it was a fear that was private, wasn't it? He was happy to go to prison and listen to him. And whoever John the Baptist was in Herod's eyes... Even what he said against his marriage wasn't enough to warrant death. And even though Herodias was pressurizing him to behead John the Baptist, even that wasn't enough for Herod to, to, to break. But here we are, in front of this crowd of influential, powerful people, and Herod shows his true fear his fear that he doesn't want to let his word look weak. He doesn't want to lose face. And so he breaks. And in that moment, immediately it says in verse 27, immediately, not a hesitation, he disowns God's messenger and he discards God's message. As so we saw what happened to Herod at the end, we saw that right at the very beginning of 16. 
he threw away a right fear of John the Baptist. And the result is now he is filled with genuine terror. Terror of retribution. And instead of having someone to go to and speak to things of God with, he is left with no one. And his head is filled with nonsense that John the Baptist has come back from the dead. And he's hell-bent on killing him. So we consider this story, and to many of us in here, I'm sure that's what it seems like, a story. It's pretty mad, isn't it? <laughs> wow. But as we sit here in this meeting house this evening, and as we think about how, what is God saying to us tonight about Herod? I want us to see that this character is actually someone that we can imagine today. In fact, it might even be someone sitting in this room who resembles Herod. Think about it. What was Herod? He was intrigued by God and God's message. He had no problem coming to hear the gospel. In fact, you can imagine this person. This person is intrigued so much by what the Bible has to say that even when their sins are called out, they're not even that bit off. Even sins concerning their own marriage does not put them off. Maybe they, it makes sense to them because like John the Baptist, God is righteous and holy. Yet you can imagine, you can imagine them being in such a situation that in a moment, they disown God and they discard his message. You can picture it, can't you? It's lunchtime, you're in the canteen, you're opening up your lunch, everyone else is there, and something has happened in the news about Christianity or about the way Christians have behaved, and everybody is laughing. They're making fun of those Christians who behave in a certain way and believe these certain things. And that person who privately is interested in Jesus has a decision to make, don't they? Or you can imagine this person sitting in halls, and maybe you've been there yourself, or maybe you're going there this September, and you've grown up in church, and you're not a Christian, but you're certainly not opposed to Christian things. And you find yourself sitting in this room, and you're getting to know your, your, your classmates or those that you're living with, and you realize that they're all atheists. And you realize that they are completely <laughs> opposed to everything you have heard. And you have a decision to make. And so what was a good and healthy fear of God's message and God's messenger is in a moment gone. And so you see the fear of following Christ I'm referring to. It's not really a fear of following Christ, it's a fear of man. It's the fear of what will people think of me if I follow Christ. But it's the fear of the crowd, isn't it? The fear of being on the outside. The fear, and we're going to see this increasingly, of public scorn and public humiliation. And as we saw with Herod, this led him to reject Jesus' messenger and ultimately Jesus himself. Just really sad about the story of Herod in the, Mark, in the Gospel of Mark is that this, as far as I can tell, is actually the last we hear 
of Herod. We don't know what comes of him. We know that his followers, the Herodians, and we heard, saw them mentioned in chapter 3, verse 6, are out to kill Jesus. And so we must assume that he is still plagued with the fear of verse 16. And instead of coming to know who Jesus really is, his knowledge of him has stopped. And he is lost in a world of terror. And so this evening, I want to say two things about Herod. I want to say, first of all, see. See how easy it is to buckle to the fear of man. See how easy it is to find yourself in a situation where the pressures of the moment are so much that everything you know and understand about Jesus just go. But I want you to see this. We don't necessarily see it in this passage, but we know it from Scripture. And that is that we, as sinful human beings, are prone to reject Jesus. We're prone to be like Herod. We're prone to buckle in times of great pressure. We're prone to not stick our head above the parapet. We're prone to fear man more than we fear God. But as I said, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is what this passage is a part of, is that even though we stumble and fall, and even we, we do not need to be like Herod, who as far as we know did not come back to the Lord, because in the gospel, in Jesus Christ, there is always a way back. Because Jesus knows that we will continually struggle, struggle in this way, the whole way through our Christian faith. This fear of following Jesus does not go away. But fortunately for us, Jesus does not change. There is a fear of following Jesus, the kind of fear that makes us reject Jesus and drives us away from him. Be aware of it. But let's see in our second point John the Baptist, of a second kind of fear in this passage. And much more briefly, we'll see John. And we'll see it's briefly because we've already looked at many of the verses in this passage and we know what happens to John the Baptist. We know where his fear leads him. It leads him to being beheaded. But to help us understand this, we need to understand the context in which this story is found. And this is something that Mark, we're going to do something that Mark does in his gospel, you, you might not be familiar with Mark, but Mark does this kind of sandwich effect in his gospel where he, he plants a story right in the middle of two other stories, and the two sort of bread sides of the story tell you what's going on in the middle. And so this John the Baptist beheading story is right in the middle of two other narratives. And we're going to read these other narratives now in verses 12 and 13 and verse 30. So look with me at these verses. So this is what's going on while John the Baptist is being beheaded. The apostles, verse 12, they went out and are preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Then, verse 30, the apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Do you see that? I hope you see there as we read those three verses in a row how in many ways if verses 14 to 29 were cut out of the Bible, 
we wouldn't even notice they were gone. I hope you see that. I hope you see that this narrative flows. The apostles go out and are passed by Jesus to do all these wonderful things, and they come back having done all these wonderful things. And as I said, Mark does this kind of sandwichy thing. We're supposed to see wonderful thing, horrible beheading, wonderful thing. And they all tie in to teach us what's going on. And the lesson of Mark's gospel is this. That as we look at Jesus, and in the midst of all this opposition and rejection, there are many, many wonderful things. And there's this hype and buzz about him. The apostles are being sent out. His gospel is growing. But Mark's point is this, as Jesus' gospel grows and advances, so will this opposition and rejection of him. You see, this is the reality of following Jesus. He says, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, if you want to be a part of a kingdom that grows and advances, if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to do well, if you want your church to to make headway in this town, then know this, that rejection and persecution will follow in equal measure. Jesus actually hints about this in chapter 8, and I said a passage that mirrors this one. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And this is the other fear of following Jesus. The first fear that we saw with Herod is this fear of of what will people think of me. But the second fear is, what will Jesus ask of me? What will Jesus ask of me? And we know the answer from John the Baptist, don't we? We see what might happen to us if we decide to follow Jesus. We see what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Admittedly, John the Baptist was in a position that most of us cannot imagine. We just can't imagine being in prison to someone as tyrannical as Herodias. But I want us to see a big, big difference between John the Baptist and Herod, and it's the key to understanding the difference in these two kinds of fear. And that is that John the Baptist understood who Jesus was. Remember who Herod thought Jesus was? Herod thought Jesus was a reincarnated John the Baptist. But John the Baptist knew exactly who Jesus was. And regardless of being in prison, regardless of speaking to the king of this region, he was able to speak to the truth to someone knowing that he was putting his life at risk. He was able to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Jesus. John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. And there was a confidence there. And that confidence had at its heart that there's nothing to fear, not even death itself. Mark actually alludes to this, I believe, in verse 29. Have a read at verse 29, the very last verse of this little episode. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This passage mirrors a lot of the rest of Mark's gospel. But can you hear any other verses mirrored in verse 29? They took his body and laid it in a tomb. We know, don't we, 
And in chapter 15, verses 42 to 47, when Jesus has died, his disciple came and laid him in a tomb. And so the reason I believe Mark finishes this way is because although we are reading this unbelievably stark passage in the midst of the bright lights of the success, the stark passage of what it means, what it really means to be a follower of Jesus, we're finished with this reminder that Jesus, our Savior, the one in which, one in whom we are called to follow, went through the valley of shadow of death before us. Do you remember the questions that hang over this book? Remember what the dark clouds are supposed to make us think? What's going to happen to Jesus? What's going to happen to those who follow him? It's scary, isn't it? It's scary to think that we're going to be rejected by men. It's scary to think what Jesus might ask of us. It means that he might ask us to carry our own crosses, go to death like he went. But if we, like John the Baptist, understand who Jesus really is, then we see that we have nothing to fear at all. And that this fear of following Christ is really hope. If we understand who Jesus is, our fear, our fear of following him disappears. It doesn't multiply like Herod. We remember that in Jesus, he rose from the dead. He defeated it. And therefore, although it is still our enemy, it has lost its sting and it, has no, it is not victorious over us. In Jesus, our fear disappears because those who oppose us have nothing to attack us with because fear, their greatest weapon, has been taken from them and death, what could, it, is, it is not theirs to deal to us. Our fear disappears because when we see opposition growing growing out there against us, we can take great heart that God is advancing his kingdom, either among us or elsewhere. And our fear disappears because when we recognize that Jesus was not John the Baptist, he was not Elijah, he was not a prophet from Olds, when we realize that he is the Son of God, the Christ, who died in our place so that we might live, we realize that his love is so amazing, so divine, that it demands our soul, our life, and our all. You see, John the Baptist knew who Jesus was, and it transformed his outlook on reality. And unlike Herod, who went to this place of terror and presumably was locked in that terror the remainder of his days, or at least until Jesus was dead, John the Baptist went home and enjoyed an eternity of peace and glory with his Savior. This is a great wee story in the midst of Mark. But as we conclude, I hope we see that it's a story of two men, a story of two fears and two outcomes. Herod, as we saw, feared men over God, and his fear of following Jesus was more concerned with what other people were saying, and so he rejected Jesus in a moment of pressure. He crumbled in a moment, and all his intrigue and knowledge of Jesus and of God disappeared. 
all Herod was left with was a sense of guilt that he killed a righteous and holy man. And they lived in terror of retribution. This is the fear that we do not want. For it is a fear that pushes us, drives us away from Jesus. And leaves us without hope. John the Baptist feared God over men. He, through him, we see that although we might be afraid of how bad it might get or what God might ask of us, we realize that in Jesus Christ we have nothing to fear at all. And although John the Baptist bore the full opposition of God's kingdom, we might not bear the same opposition. We can see that he remained faithful to God despite that hostility. And he accepted that the fear of following Jesus was part and parcel of being a Christian. But that it was a good fear. In fact, it was no fear at all. Scary following Jesus. It's scary standing up for him and telling people that you love him. It's scary saying that you hold to a biblical position even though the whole of culture is running in an opposite direction. It's scary bringing your children and grandchildren to church in the knowledge that what you're asking of them to do when they follow Jesus is a big thing. But as we look at the gospel, as we study Jesus Christ, we realize that he who was faithful to us, who walked to the cross first, who gone through the valley of the shadow of death, that in him is the only way of life where there is no fear. For otherwise, it's just a life of terror and unknown. And so to him, we are incredibly thankful. For he is worthy of all the glory and honor and praise. As we consider him, let me pray for us. And then we will stand and sing praise to him in our closing hymn. So let me, let me lead us in prayers to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we praise you. We praise you for dying for us. We praise you that you went to the cross in the full knowledge of all that it entails. And we praise you that you did this so that your people would never have to endure the punishment of sin, the wrath of God. And even though we will all face death one day, we praise you that the fear of it has gone and that on the other side, we will be with our King, our Lord and our Savior. And we have hope, assurance of that and that forever and ever, we will love and praise you. Help us therefore to endeavor to learn more about you. Help us to remember that in you, we have no need to fear. And that no matter what is coming our way or what is being asked of us, we can do it because you first did it for us. We pray for all of these things in your name and for your glory. Amen.